standing for the reading of God's word. Today's scripture comes from the book of Psalms. It is, in fact, the entire chapter of 126. You can find it in the House Bible at page 517 if you'd like to read along. Hear the word of the Lord. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negeb. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. make sure oh yeah that pops on great good morning christ community it's good to see you all here this morning jeff i should tell you i had a very similar reaction to malachi this morning i hit that cold air and thought not today lord but then i remembered i work here uh so i i am here and you're here and we're all here and really uh it's great that we're here and we arrived safely i hope that's never something to take for granted and so i, I do pray that you found this place already to be a, a warm spot um, on this cold morning I'm, I'm excited uh to dive into this scripture with you this morning and i'd like to begin our time together by disclosing a habit of mine uh, this is just a little habit that I've noticed. I think I've been doing it for a while. It's almost become second nature to me, and it's a habit that I have a hunch that many of you might share, or you might have your own version of this habit. Uh, here's what happens. So I'll be out at a restaurant with friends, right? or I'll be at the movie theater, or I'll be leaving at the end of the day for work, and I, I put the coat on, and I kind of wrap the scarf up, and then right before I get ready to go, I do a little thing like this. Do you all know what I'm doing here? A little tap, 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 tap. What I'm doing is checking for my phone, my wallet, and my keys, right? It's a little phone, wallet, keys tap. So everything's on, right? Tap, 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 tap. Oh, good, it's all still there, right? I mean, this, it's just second nature. I don't even think about it. Getting ready to leave a place, tap, tap. All right, we're good to go. Walk right out the door. And most of the time, it is all there, right? Most of the time, my phone is in my front pocket. The keys are here. My wallet's there. But sometimes something is not there, right? And you can imagine what happens then. I mean, the absolute terror that sets in. And if I was engaged in a conversation or if I was doing something, now I'm thoroughly distracted, right? Because the phone's not in the phone pocket. The keys aren't in the key pocket. The wallet's not where it's supposed to be. And so I'm looking around, right? I'm on the table if it's in the restaurant. I'm looking under the chair. Did it fall out over here? Did I set it down there? Did I, did I lose it somehow, right? I mean, I'm thoroughly distracted until I can find it and things are where they're supposed to be. I, I, I get so unplugged from what was happening because I know that something isn't there that should be there, right? Something's not where it's supposed to be. What should be easy for me to grasp uh, seems like it's out of reach. And I wonder, have you ever felt that kind of panic, right, when something's not where it's supposed to be? Well, here's the thing. I'm convinced that that's the way many of us feel about joy, right? Joy, I... I feel like I should have it. Joy, I know it, I know it used to be there. Joy, it feels like it was around just a while ago, but, but I can't seem to find it now. Joy, where did it go? 
And that same panic that sets in when my phone's not there, right? And that same worry that surfaces when the keys are gone. I am afraid it pops up in many of our lives when our joy tank is running on empty. I think that's true of many of us, and I fear that the anxiety that can sometimes accompany a lack of joy might be even more acute for folks that have been around communities of faith for a while, right? I think that kind of worry that, oh, is my joy missing, might sit in a little harder for people that have been in churches for a while, because many of us who have been a part of a church for a few years uh, probably know or have been told that joy is something that should characterize those who follow Christ. Uh, Joy is something that should be uh, part of the life of a true disciple of Jesus. We've probably heard it said that the Apostle Paul wrote about great joy, right? Even when he was in prison. We've probably been introduced to the many things that Jesus had to say about joy. Maybe we recall John chapter 15 where Jesus told his closest followers what it looks like for them to abide in his Father's love. And then when the whole teaching's done, he said, I gave you all this instruction. Why? So that your joy might be full. We've heard things like this. We know that joy is listed among the fruit of the Spirit. We know that the angels on Christmas Eve said they were bringing news that would bring joy to all people. We know that joy is something we should have, but we can't quite find it sometimes, right? We've patted our hearts, and it feels like it's missing. Our joy seems to be lost. And here's the good news from God's Word this morning. Today, as we wrap up our study in the Psalms, as we prepare our hearts for Christmas and we engage this centuries-old text from ancient Israel, I believe that God's Word wants to tell us this, that joy can be found. Joy can be found. And this is true whether you're an optimist or a pessimist. And this is true if life feels good right now or life feels hard right now. This is true whether the bank account is full or empty. Uh, This is true whether the plan worked or it didn't. Joy can be found, and it doesn't depend on our good luck, our good circumstances, or our good disposition, right? True joy, real joy, abundant joy, the joy that comes from a deep sense of knowing that God is good and that God is in control and that God never abandons his people, that kind of joy can be found at any time in any circumstance when we receive it from our Father. Joy can be found, and that's what the writer of Psalm 126 wants to share with us this morning. And so for the next few moments, we're going to investigate how joy can be found, and we're going to do it by asking three questions, right? When, when can joy be found? Where, where can joy be found? And how can joy be found? And our investigation will be rooted in the psalm that Carl so beautifully read for us this morning. And so if you do have a Bible with you, would you open it now to Psalm 126? Psalm 126. And if you've been around Christ's community for a while, you know that usually when we get to this point in the sermon, right, where you open the Bible, we start at the first verse, right? This is how we teach here so often. We start right at the beginning and work our way through to the end. We believe in teaching verse by verse here. And usually that is the right approach when studying scripture. But this morning, we're actually going to start in the middle of the psalm. We're going to start in verse 3, Psalm 126, verse 3. And here's why. It's because this big book of psalms that we have, this book of poetry and songs in the middle of our Bible, it's made up of kind of poetry and thoughtful lyrics. And lyrics and poetry, right, kind of creative writing makes points differently from essays or logical writing, 
right? So I'm sure that maybe in a language arts class once you were taught, like, give a topic sentence and then expound upon it, right? State your thesis up front and then explain. That's how more analytical, that's how logical writing works, but that's not how creative writing works, right? I mean, think of it this way. Painters, when they make their masterpieces, right, the focal point can move around from painting to painting. It's not always right in the center, right? Sometimes it's in this corner or that corner to this side or that side. Well, in this psalm, the main point isn't at the beginning, and the main point isn't at the end, but it's found right in the middle in verse 3. And so that's where we're going to start this morning. That's where the focal point of this psalm is. Psalm 126, verse 3. Are you there? Here's what the psalmist writes. He says, the Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. And the key words there is, we are glad. The NIV translate it is, we are filled with joy. And that simple statement, those three words, we are glad, if you're reading it in the original, they're right at the center of the psalm, right? There's the first half and there's the second half, but those words are right in the middle and they stand out because they're the only three words in the present tense. Okay, you're going to find as we walk through this whole psalm, the first half talks about the past and we're going to get there, right? The second half talks about the future and we're going to dig in there as well. But these words, we are glad, they're at the center of the psalm. They're the only words in the present tense. And I think they help us understand the answer to our first question, when is joy found, right? When can joy be found? I think the psalmist wants us to see this, that joy is found in the present, Joy is found in the present. It always is. It always is. Yes, joy has a past, and we're going to dig into that. And yes, joy thinks and has things that it believes about the future, and we're going to get there as well. But joy is always found in the present. That's the only place that joy exists. I mean, if we say we'll find joy when, or I used to have joy when, or joy will come after, we will always be disappointed because joy doesn't arrive once the debt is paid off right? And joy doesn't come once the treatment is finished, right? If we think of joy as something that comes later once circumstances change, we'll always be left wanting. Relief comes when the debt's paid off, right? Uh, there's other things that come after difficult periods, but it's not joy. That's not where joy is found. Joy is found in the present. It doesn't exist in a future somewhere. And in the same way, it doesn't exist in past glory days, right? Joy isn't from those decades before we dealt with that problem, from those years before this had cropped up, right? That's not where we go to find joy. We don't just daydream about the future and we don't mind the past trying to find joy. But if we're ever going to find true joy, real joy, it's found in the present. Simply put, joy is a present tense experience. And we've got to get this, church. We've got to get this before we dive any deeper into this psalm because so many people try to look for joy in the future and so many people try to look for joy in the past and they're disappointed when they can't grasp it. Joy can only be found and experienced in the present. That's the only time in which joy lives. So if you feel like your joy has gone missing, I'm here this morning to tell you that joy can be found, but the only place you're going to find it is in the present. Don't keep looking backwards, right? And don't keep daydreaming about the future. Joy can be found, but if you're going to find it, the first place to look is right in the present, okay? 
So that's the first thing the author of Psalm 126 wants to say. At the heart of his entire poem is one short present tense verse that says, joy, it's a present tense reality. It's found in the present. So that's the answer to the first question, when we find our joy. But let's engage the second question now, where can we find joy? And to do that, let's look at verses 1 and 2 and then verse 4. So Psalms 126, verses 1 and 2. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. See here the writer is describing a period in Israel's past where they experienced present tense joy. He writes of a time when the Lord uh, restored the fortunes of Zion, a time when things looked bad for God's people, and then God intervened. It's likely that the psalmist was thinking of a time that King Sennacherib had kind of surrounded the city of Jerusalem, right? And he's laying siege to the city, and folks are panicked, and King Hezekiah is down praying, and the people are worried, and then God acts. And one night, the angel of the Lord shows up, and uh, all Sennacherib's army, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of men, fall sick, and then they die, and this leads to Sennacherib's retreat, right? And the psalmist is saying, when that happened, when the Lord delivered us from what seemed like an impossible situation, when our city was besieged and we were surrounded, when that happened, we had great joy. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with shouts of joy. We dodged a real disaster, and we were exuberant. So where can joy be found? I think what the psalmist wants us to see from these verses is that joy can be found in good circumstances. Joy can be found in those moments where God is clearly at work, when the sun is shining and the city is saved, right? Joy can be found in good circumstances, and that makes sense, doesn't it? But let's look at verse 4. The psalmist writes there, Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the strings in the Negev. Restore our fortunes. The psalmist is saying that in the same way that the streams of the south to Israel, right, in this region called the Negev, in the same way that these streams restore that desert landscape, Lord, would you restore our fortune? Would you restore our joy? And this is the kind of thing that someone writes when things aren't going according to plan. Right? This is the kind of thing that someone writes when the sun isn't shining, when the plan isn't working, when things aren't as they should be. These are the words we say in our hearts when our hearts have been broken and bruised. But notice that this desperate prayer follows right after that bold declaration in verse 3, and we are glad. I mean, the psalmist just said, and we are glad, and now he's giving this prayer of a desperate person, right? Restore our fortunes, O Lord. The psalmist appears to be praying a desperate prayer for change and renewal, which would suggest he's experiencing some kind of difficulty, even as he's saying we are a people filled with joy. Here's what the psalmist wants us to notice, that joy is found when? It's found only in the present. That's what we just learned, but it's found where? It's found in good circumstances and in in difficult circumstances. In fact, the psalmist would want us to see that joy can be found wherever we are despite any circumstance. Joy can be found wherever we might be despite our circumstances. Joy can be found in good times, right, after a great military victory, or in bad times, right? Even as we beg God in prayer to intervene and act, joy can be found. And by writing of both experiences, 
The psalmist wants us to know that joy is something that doesn't, doesn't depend on what's happening around us. Joy isn't some kind of spurt of good feelings that shoots up only when you know, everything is as it should be and the stock market's going up and our pension account is growing, right? Joy is something different altogether. It's possible to find joy when things are good, of course, and it's possible to find joy when things are bad. When we've got a job and when we don't, when our friends remember us and when they forget, when our body is well and isn't, joy can be found in any circumstance. And I want you to know, church, that I don't take this truth lightly, right? I know that for many of you, 2016 has been a tough year. Gabe and I do read the prayer requests every Tuesday morning, and and I know that this year has been a year filled with disappointment for many uh, hurt for many things that you did not expect this year. I, I am well aware that that is true. And I want you to hear this. The fact that the psalmist is saying that joy can be found in any circumstance doesn't mean that our hearts should never break, right? And it doesn't mean that we should never experience sadness. That's not what the psalmist is saying at all. In fact, if you'd read this whole book of Psalms, you'll find a lot of songs and poetry from this psalmist that are very sad, and that do lament sad realities, where the psalmist is probably weeping as he writes the words, right? As the writer of Ecclesiastes puts it, there is a time to weep and a time to laugh, right? A time to mourn and a time to dance. It is good to grieve things that need to be grieved, okay? But that truth does not negate what the psalmist is here, right? So it's important to grieve what needs to be grieved, but the psalmist also wants us to see that even in the midst of a season of grief, even as we're praying prayers for God to intervene, right? Restore us, O Lord. Even as the train is falling off the tracks, joy can be found. It can be found. This week, I thought of a poem that was discovered on the cellar walls of a kind of a hiding place for Jews in Cologne during the Nazi Holocaust. And the poem, uh, really the whole poem is famous, but its opening line, you've probably heard it before. It says, I believe in the sun even when it is not shining, right? Have you heard of this great poem? I believe in the sun even when it is not shining. And friends, I think the psalmist wants us to know that he believes in joy even in seasons of crying and pain, right? The joy is possible even then, but how? Right? How is that kind of joy possible? Well, that takes us to our third question. We've seen that joy can be found only in the present. We've seen that the psalmist wants us to understand that joy can be found in the midst of any circumstance, right? But how is joy found? Well, let's look at verses 5 and 6. Psalm 126, 5 and 6. The psalmist writes, Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. What is the psalmist saying? He's making some claims about reality here. He's making some claims about the way the world works, about the way that God works. And these statements, they're rooted in the psalmist's conviction that God is good, that God cares, and that God never abandons his people because the psalmist has deep trust in God. He knows who God is and how much God loves his people. How do we know the psalmist knows this? Well, we have a whole book, right? And we see again and again throughout the Psalms uh, beautiful poetic reflections on God's faithfulness, on God's love, on God's care. And so the psalmist knows who God is and he knows how God works. And so he's able to say that those who sow in tears will reap shouts of joy. Those who sow in tears, 
those who experience the trickiest curveballs that life has to offer, those who receive bad news upon bad news, those who sow in tears, even then, the psalmists say, they will reap joy. And here's what I want you to hear in this. Do you hear the psalmist's confidence in these statements? He's convinced that these are true, right? That those who face life's toughest things, they can find joy. And how? Again, how does that happen? Well, here it is. Joy can be found only when we receive it as a gift. Joy can be found only when we receive it as a gift. You see, the fact is that joy is not something we can produce. It's not something we can create or manufacture on our own. We are thoroughly unable to make our own joy. We can make our own distractions, right? We can pursue our own pleasures, but we cannot create joy, that kind of deep existential gladness that God gives his people. We can't create our own joy. This is why the psalmist writes in Psalm 51, restore to me the joy of your salvation, right? The psalmist is saying, you've got to give me that joy back. I can't create it, Lord. Hey, would you restore to me the joy that you gave me then when you first rescued me, right? The psalmist gets this thoroughly, that joy, true joy, is always a gift, but you see, so often we try to produce joy on our own. So often we try to manufacture it ourselves, but we can't because our motives and our hearts and our world, everything, it's deeply, deeply broken. We cannot produce the abiding sense of gladness that God gives, but we try. And here's how we try. We try to pursue joy the same way we try to pursue happiness, by eliminating things that cause us stress or worry and by pursuing only those things that excite us or bring us pleasure. Right, so we say, I'm going to get rid of anything that bothers me, and I'm going to go after only things that I enjoy. And friends, this path it is incredibly misguided. And I think few have done such a good job into explaining the foolishness of this path as a guy named George Saunders, who's a short story author, a MacArthur Genius Grant winner, wouldn't you love to win one of those, uh, who also happens to have great facial hair. And so this is a George Saunders. And George Saunders writes these short story collections that are fascinating. I mean, he's brilliant, right? That examine modern culture. And in one of his short story collections, he has a story called Winky. And in it, we see Winky's pursuit of joy, pursuit of happiness. And so this guy, Neil, uh, main character, shows up at a self-help event, right? And kind of through Neil's eyes, we hear all these uh, mantras of you need to eliminate what's bad in your life and pursue what's good in your life. Eliminate everything that weighs you down. Pursue only those things you enjoy. And so the first part of the story is just Neil soaking all this in, right? He's, he's just marinating at this self-help conference. And then we watch as he goes home. And we learn that he lives with his sister who has some special needs. And we watch as he considers kicking his sister out of his house so that he can find true happiness. And friends, it's a tragic story with a dark ending, but Saunders is making the point that if that's what we think the pursuit of joy looks like, if that's what we think the pursuit of happiness looks like, we will give up on the most noblest things that we're called to do in our life. Neil wants to give up on his deep commitment to care for his sister who desperately needs it because someone else has told him that's where he'll find joy. And that is a lie. Because that is not where joy is found. God gives the gift of joy and he gives it to his people because he knows they've embraced his call to do the difficult work of love and service and sacrifice. And he knows that that's hard work, right? If I were Saunders writing the story of Neil, I'd put in God saying, bro, I know that you've been called to a difficult task in caring for your sister. But here's what God does. 
He knows that Christians have embraced this costly road of discipleship. And he says, in the midst of that, in the midst of circumstances and realities where other folks would throw in the towel, when other folks would say faithfulness is too much, integrity is too much, love is too costly, what God does instead is say, no, I want you to stay right there, but I'll give you the gift of joy in the midst of it. And when everyone else is quitting and the rest of the world is giving up, you're going to be able to endure and you'll endure with gladness because you have my gift of joy right? Joy, it's a gift that God gives to us in the present, in despite of our circumstances, so that we might carry out the good work that he's called us to do with gladness and with perseverance. The psalmist says that God gives joy to his people. It may not be immediately. We may have to wait for a little bit. Sometimes there's something God wants to teach us in the meantime. But those who ask God for joy, the psalmist says, they will receive it. Those who sow in tears, they will reap a harvest of joy. So what does that leave for us to do? If joy is something we experience in the present, something that we can experience despite any circumstance and something we receive as a gift, but we can't produce it. I mean, Tyler, what am I supposed to do in light of this psalm? Well, it's real simple. Be persistent and ask God for joy. Be persistent and ask God for joy. If you're facing a difficult challenge and feeling overwhelmed, uh, be persistent and ask God for joy even in the midst of dark days. And don't be surprised if he shows up and brings it. If you're in a season of calm and everything just feels kind of bland and kind of blah and things are working out, but it's all right. And you're just like, I don't really feel much of anything. I feel like I'm riding right in the middle, right? I don't have that kind of joy that I feel like the Bible talks about that other folks should notice, right? And that should just bubble up at any time in life. If that's you, if it's like, gosh, I'm in a calm season, you can be persistent and ask God to give you joy in the midst of just the everyday ordinary life, right? If you've been seeking God's joy for a while, but it feels like it hasn't arrived yet, can I just encourage you, stay the course, right? Keep asking God for joy. Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. It's a promise from God's word that is true and trustworthy. Keep asking, friends. Keep asking for joy. Be persistent and ask God to give you that supernatural delight that only he can provide. You know, it's been said in the canonization process, right, when the Catholic Church is deciding who's going to be the next saint, that one of the pieces of evidence that they ask for is proof of joy within the life of a candidate. It's as if the church is saying that those who uh, we want to put a seal of approval on and say this is what it looks like to follow Jesus on earth, it's as if the church is saying, man, those people have to be marked by joy, right? Now, I've got to be honest, I've never met an official canonized saint, not yet anyway, I probably never will, actually, because of some of the rules. But I have met some people. (laughs) Don't you have to be dead for a while? Anyway, uh, but I have met some people who knew God deeply uh, and experienced his rich joy daily. One of those people was Marty Y., a math teacher that I had in high school. And I'm sure this comes as no surprise to you, church, but I've uh, always been a bit of a nerd, a bit of a bookworm. Uh, loved school, did well in school. Uh, And so in high school, I actually, even though I went to a large public high school, I had a private math class. It was a one-on-one math class with Mrs. Y. And so in between, you know, the sine of four pi over three or dy over dx and all these different things, uh, Mrs. Y, we kind of developed a good relationship and she would help me uh, rehearse lines for the school musicals. 
She would uh, listen to me chat about uh, things that were going on with my friends. She'd comment on articles that I'd written for the school paper. And she also would bring in, uh, really, kind of like we have this morning, trays and trays of sweets in an effort to fatten me up. And she uh, wasn't the first, nor will she be the last, I think, of folks who have tried to help me gain weight and been thwarted. Uh, but that's all right. It is what it is. She gave it her best shot. And Mrs. Y and I, we went through a lot together. Uh, she was a survivor of breast cancer. She had raised four children. She founded multiple community service clubs at Carroll, the high school where I was, and served regularly in her church. I spent a lot of time with Mrs. Y. And after I graduated from high school, we kept in touch. And uh, we'd exchange emails. I'd come back to her house during holiday breaks, and we'd have meals together. And during my sophomore year at IU, I had a really, really tough week. Right? Uh, there were all sorts of exams. There was some kind of relational drama going on. My phone had been stolen at a party, which is a whole other story for another time. Uh, short on sleep, short on patience. And so I reached out to Mrs. Y for encouragement. I sent her a kind of a big email documenting all that had been going on. And here's what she sent in response. She said, Tyler, my favorite Bible quote is it came to pass. It's a short phrase, but it has much meaning. We can deal with anything in life because it did not come to stay. It came to pass. This difficult time will also pass, and you will remember only the good experiences. Remembering the good is a great gift from God. I know you will do well. Love, peace, and prayers. Marty. And church, I do think about those words uh, often, ever since I received that email years ago. And in fact, I brought that email back out when I did Mrs. Y's funeral in 2012. And as I said then, uh, throughout the entire time that I knew Marty, in the good days and in the bad days, uh, she never displayed anything less than full joy rooted in confidence that God was good, that God was in control, and that God's love for his children was unshakable. Uh, I witnessed that joy in the classroom. I witnessed that joy during our reunions. I witnessed it in our final interactions at her home uh, as her body was just kind of weakening. And, and I tell you that story to say this. Whatever you're facing today, whether it's big or small, difficult and heavy, or just kind of light and exciting, whatever it is, it did not come to stay, it came to pass. And one day God's word says we'll stand before our Father in heaven and then there will be no more death or no more pain and he will wipe every tear from our eyes. And in that moment, uh, the promise of Psalm 126 will be perfectly fulfilled. On that day, all who have sown in tears will reap a harvest of joy. But until that day, church, until that day, let's remember that joy can be found but only in the present. Right? It's available to us now. Let's remember that it can be available to us despite our circumstances in good times and in bad. And may we remember that joy, it's always a gift from God, not something we need to try to produce in ourselves. So may we be persistent in asking God for it. May we find our joy in him, right? Today and forevermore. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we thank you that you are a God that cares about joy that you're a God that desires that for us and desires it so much and knows it's so difficult, so it's something you even just provide. Uh, what great graciousness on your part. What great love for us. And so, Lord, we do ask for your joy because we've tried and we know we can't 
produce it, Lord, but we know that it's something that, man, when it feels like missing, we know that it's just not the way it's supposed to be. And so, God, would you make our lives those lives that are marked by joy? Would you mold us into the kind of people who have joy that can weather any circumstance? And Lord, when you do, because we know that you will, because it's a promise from your word, we'll be sure to remember to give you all the glory for it, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being a God who gives joy to his people. We ask for it humbly this morning. It's in your powerful name we pray. Amen. And now as we